0: Hello, and welcome to season four of the Pivoting Out of EDU podcast. This is a podcast designed to provide you with the inspiration, confidence, and strategies for transitioning out of campus-based positions in education. Hosts, Drs. Jamie Hoffman and Tom Studdard, pivoted out of campus-based positions, hold senior level positions in organizations, and love it. What started as an idea that they thought might benefit a few is clearly filling a need across the nation with education professionals during the Great Resignation. Jamie and Tom are excited to be back for another season with over 25,000 downloads across our first three seasons. So have a seat or take a walk. However you listen to podcasts and get ready for ideas and inspiration. And if you think this podcast was awesome, please consider giving us a five-star rating.
1: Hello and welcome to Pivoting Out of EDU. I'm Tom Stuttert
2: And I'm Jamie Hoffman.
1: And today I am really, or we are really excited to uh, bring to you Daryl Ray. Uh, Daryl, say hello to our listeners. Good afternoon, everyone. Daryl, you are the uh, Chief Equity Strategist for uh, Systematic Equity Solutions, is that correct?
3: Yes, I started my own consulting firm a little over a year ago. Great, well, we're definitely gonna dive into that.
1: I was sharing with uh, Daryl right before we jumped on that uh, we have some interesting connections having you know, had a back de- background in student affairs and always being, as Daryl said, two degrees away. Uh, we both know some of the same grad students. We've both sort of been involved in similar job searches. And so um, I'm really excited to have you on the podcast, not only based on the work that you're doing now, but also one of the things that we hear from folks is our show is pretty tailored towards sort of that entry level staff person who's trying to make that jump, right? Like, they were a program coordinator a coordinator or a hall director and what we what we are starting to hear from folks is it would be nice if we had more sort of top level folks in the student affairs world um who've made that made the pivot out and so obviously have having, uh, have had multiple sort of leadership roles from you know an assistant vice president to a vice president uh, and 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 on um, and making that pivot out i'm I'm personally really excited to to have you on the show so thank you for for being here. Thank you for sort of reaching out to us as well. We appreciate that. All right. So I, I know I've introduced you and I've introduced your, your title, but, you know, can you give us sort of a, a formal introduction to yourself and, and a little bit about your background in the education sector and then sort of why you chose to make that pivot and, and what it is that you're doing, doing now?
3: Okay. began um, all of my education and career, been in the South. I grew up in Birmingham, Uh, Went to the University of Alabama, Roll Tide. Went on to my first job at the University of Georgia. And while I was there, tuition remission began for employees. So I completed my doctorate while I was working there. Uh, Spent a short stint in proprietary education um, and realized that I needed to be on a campus. I missed grass. I missed buildings and and football and all those things. So then went on to uh, work at LSU, Go Tigers, and uh, spent 11 years there as an administrator and faculty member in the higher ed administration program in the college of ed uh, was an avp for most of that time and then went on to become a a vice president for student affairs at the university of memphis and then went over to be a vice president at uh, rhodes college which is here in memphis and so ultimately i've consulted throughout my entire career um, just as people have needed things or as i have had the bandwidth to do so and realized i wanted to be able to set up something. Uh, to set up my own consulting firm to be able to do that kind of as a move into semi-retirement and then kind of transitioning out of student affairs, I still thought that I would probably do it seven or eight years from now, but with COVID and having the opportunity to have a little bit more downtime, flexibility, uh, and some freedom, we were still working around the clock, but it gave me an opportunity to really continue to build out uh, what I wanted to do and map it out and work with some coaching. And in working with my coach, uh, really came to the realization, or he pushed me to the realization that this was a, a, a window in time where the work that I wanted to do, it was a unique window and that I should really pursue that. And as he put it, if you fail, you can always go back to work on the college campus, but, you know, take advantage of this moment. And so... I'm in year one of doing that and it's going well so far.
1: That's that's amazing. There's a lot to unpack in what you've just talked about, right? The first one is your allegiance to football schools, Alabama and LSU. I'm and a Pac 12 guy. So, like, that's <laughs> challenging for me to begin with. But how do you balance like Georgia, Alabama, LSU, like three powerhouses? Who do you cheer for on game day?
3: I cheer for each of them until they play each other, <laughs> which. Fortunately, with the conference alignment, Georgia only plays Alabama and LSU every seven years. Um, I have been at the SEC championship and both national championships where Georgia played Alabama. And generally, I'll dress neutral because I do love both my alma maters. I
1: I love how you threw in the at the national championship that they played in. Way to way to (laughs) way to throw that in as a Pac-12 guy since we haven't been to one in like forever. So yeah, I uh, I uh, spent seven years at the University of Southern California back when USC was really dominant, right? And so, and I have really good friends that both have worked and gone to LSU, and um, there's definitely some some friendly rivalry there. So I appreciate the, the the banter back and forth. I am a huge college football guy. Like Saturdays in the fall, it's like which which game is going to be on which TV in my house. So. But beyond football like the the couple other things that i wanted to unpack from from what you just talked about was one uh you know sort of using a coach to to get you to where you wanted to be and i sort of want to dive in a little bit to that and and talk about that process and that strategy for yourself but then also the other thing what that you mentioned was your coach talked about if it didn't work you could go back and i think that that's something that our listeners are nervous about right is they make a pivot out of education or a campus-based position and they're nervous about like getting back someday, or if it doesn't work out, like is higher ed going to sort of welcome me with open arms back? And so, sort of want to dig into both of those a little bit. Maybe start with the uh, with the uh, the concept of, of hiring a coach and what that process and and that 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 looked like for you.
3: Uh, definitely. Well, fortunately, I was in a again a sweet spot in time where I was able to tap into some community resources, and so the Small Business Development Center, which is an arm of the SBA, uh, Small Business Administration, the federal agency, um, I used some of their resources. And so I was able to be assigned to a staff member there who kind of worked with me on the business plan and other logistics. And then through them, I was able to tap into getting access to free coaching for six months. And so for those people who are considering it, look into your community resources, whether it's a small business development center, whether it's an incubator, or anything, entrepreneurial center, any of those things that are in your or in a neighboring community, tap into those spaces first to see what free resources they have to offer. And so through that, I had my first business coach for six months, and he really helped me frame it and think about things so differently, because in education, we are conditioned to think about things in certain directions and structures, and having someone to tell me, well, that's wrong. That's You're, you're not... A, you're not in student affairs. You're trying to do this. And he's like, even if student affairs or campuses are your clients, you now have to think from a business enterprise perspective, and you have to think differently. So it really did challenge me to kind of step outside of um my my education and my thought process uh, to really kind of go with that. And so the coaching aspect really, really did help me because he helped me see, what I wouldn't have seen on my own, and even the validity of my business plan and what I wanted to focus on and what I wanted my structure to be. And so, because the biggest thing that was holding me back was the notion of, I'm a vice president. If I step away from that, who is going to hire me? Because many of us have been on search committees and we hear the most random and horrific and sometimes illegal things that that people will say to disqualify a candidate and so, and you know, the, the dreaded gap on your resume, where were you, why weren't you there? Uh, why weren't you on a campus? And he really helped me see, he was like, you've done what you need to do. You have the experience, someone will hire. You. And so once I kind of accepted that in my mindset that, yes, someone's going to hire me. And you know, if this doesn't work out, I can go back to what I've always done. Uh, that kind of was free and it, it really allowed me to, to be open even more uh, to pursuing this opportunity, and I think the other reality is the way campuses are facing declines and pools for positions, and just the challenge of finding strong professionals and practitioners right now. There's definitely a window of time that you can definitely go back uh, because there are people who have kind of reached that tipping point uh, after the past twenty-four months.
1: Yeah, it's it's it. I went to breakfast with a colleague this morning who has been fascinated by the whole like education to non-education roles and you know I talked to him a lot about you know people are just fed up and tired you know I, I I I told him I said imagine trying to run an orientation program on a college campus and you don't know if the campus is going to be open closed mask not masked, available for residence halls or not like and you're planning sort of two orientation programs simultaneously And it's just, it's taxing and then you don't make any money. And so, yeah, I I appreciate that insight Uh, immensely. Can you, so you've you've highlighted a little bit, you've gone into your own business. What is it? What do you do? Um, Talk to us a little bit more about, you know, your organization and, um, you know, what you do on a day-to-day basis that might resonate with a listener who's like, I want to do that.
3: Awesome. Well, Systematic Equity Solutions is the name of the firm. And what I focus on is the equity side of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, So it's more about the systems and processes. A lot of diversity work that's occurring is performative or celebratory. Um, It's, you know, trainings that are pointless. And, you know, a lot of organizations and entities are spending a lot of money because they think they should. But they are not putting forward the thought into understanding what are our actual problems? What are we solving for? What are we training people to, for, or from? Uh, What are our structures? What are our policies? What are our procedures? Are they written or structured from an equity-centered lens such that every employee, every faculty member or whomever the client is, everyone that's served has a good quality experience because some thought went into the why behind things. And so I work with organizations from a host of different uh, angles. So yes, I you know, can do training, I've done retreats. Um, I also help with strategic planning and you know, strategy on like how to structure something if you're going to create a new position uh, from a campus perspective. Right now I have two clients where we're examining their policies and procedures to determine where the, where the unintentional consequences or, you know, spikes in complaints from students or or people are coming from, and it's because the, the process is not linked. And so one of the classes that I primarily taught as a faculty member was law and ethics in high and education. And so looking at you know things like, you know, your student handbook says this, your faculty handbook says this, your employees, those three are in conflict. So if there's is an issue, the institution can't defend itself legally because all of its pieces are not aligned. Um, And then I do things like help people structure equity plans or, you know, figure out, like, I have one client where they are, they want to construct a diversity office. And so I'm working with them. Like, how is it structured from the foundation to be right and not just an office that coordinates celebratory uh, events? Um, And I also do, you know, I I can work with um, government, business, education and athletics. Um, so I've done a couple of things with from an athletic perspective as well.
1: Wow, that's that's fascinating. I think the the parts that I really loved hearing is the the analysis of sort of the the different structures that a, that that an office or a campus might have. They may have this in their student handbook and this in their faculty handbook and this in their other you know guiding documents and how you're able to sort of pull those together from a from a from a from an equity lens, because again, you know, they would be able to hold hold themselves up in court if something happened um, and and standing up offices, uh, right? Like, uh, you, you know, I think a lot of folks, you know, in the, in the DEI space, right? Um, they they think of it as training. They think of it as let's go to a presentation, let's sit in a classroom. Um, and that's, there's so much more to that. And so hearing what you're doing and, he, and knowing that people Who are leaving education, particularly at the highest levels, you know, can can move into to roles like that. We had somebody on our podcast last season who started her own sort of diversity, uh, diversity or DEI sort of strategy business out in on the West Coast in California, and I love sort of the things that she was talking about. That it's not just coming in and doing a training, right? It's coming in and doing an analysis of where the company's at, where they need to go, and what's the gap in between those.
3: Absolutely, and part of that also is helping people realize their readiness for change. Because not all organizations are ready to make the changes that they want to or need to make. And part of that analysis process is, do you do it now and fail and cause harm or damage to the people who rely on the protection or the support of the services um, of that area? Or do you figure out the timeline that makes the best sense? Um, Because there's so many entities, whether it's K-12 or corporate, They're creating chief diversity officer roles, and they are just hiring someone who is a minority, not necessarily understanding what it is they want out of the role or out of the office to then be able to construct a position description around that to target the right talent. So there may be strong professionals that end up in the wrong setting or the wrong situation because the hiring party didn't truly understand what skill set was needed. Yeah, for
2: sure. Yeah, I I mean I I really appreciate sort of the important sort of niche that you're filling here because again, I do think all of the strategies or a lot of them we're seeing now are just kind of yeah, well, they're superficial it seems like. So I think it's such important work and we we do meet with um a fair amount of clients that have dreams and some very realistic goals to creating their own business because they too see some sort of an area that they can really contribute to. And I'm just curious, you mentioned business coaching, which I think is a really great resource that you um, tapped into to create your own business. But, you know, I, I, for folks that are thinking about creating um, and starting their own business, what are some of the things that you have found um, strategies to be successful and sort of Hurdles that you, um, I guess, sort of were able to navigate that others could expect um, to navigate and learn from you?
3: Well, I think the first is asking open ended questions. I think that we as educators are so used to pointed, directed, and specific questions that when we tap into resources, we don't give them an opportunity to tell us fully what the scope of something available may be. And so my approach when I was working with the Small Business Development Center and I also worked with the Minority Business Development Office that was a part of the city's administration to understand. And my my question was, tell me what resources you have to make a small business successful. And I paused. And that allowed them to be like to just throw everything out, because sometimes people will ask the questions you answer and they may not be trying to withhold information they just may think they're being helpful because they have told you what you asked. And so I entered into it with the space of, there's a lot that I do know, there's even more I don't. And so that really did help. Um, Some of the other resources that I was able to tap into was also being able to talk to um, some legal services uh, in terms of like what I need to be thinking about or if I needed to do a trademark for my logo and what that process looks like and, and, um, and a marketing person to be able to think about how to market a business and, and how to think about reaching different audiences and all of those things. Um, the one resource that I wish that I had focused on a little bit sooner was the standing up the financial aspects in terms of like the systems. So like the accounting software that I use, in my mind, I thought, well, until I start doing business, I don't need to purchase a software and create an expense that I won't use. Now I regret that because I should have set it up as I was setting up the business so that I could be figuring out what I needed to know, how to, how it worked, and also begin to track every expenditure from day one uh, instead of what I had to do was file an extension on my taxes so that I could finish logging in all of those expenses uh, and, and, uh, you know, things from last year. So I really wish that I had focused a little bit more on standing up the financial aspect uh, of the business. Um, And so I think those would be, I think, hurdles, because I think sometimes is when you're starting something, you're afraid to invest a whole lot of money. And so you really do have to figure out where do I need to spend the money or or take the risk um, to make sure that things go smoother.
1: Yeah, uh, what you're all the things that you're talking about resonate with me as Jamie and I have stood up this sort of side side business with, you know, not only a podcast, but consulting. Uh, so all those things resonate, right? And I, as you were talking, I even thought, my goodness, we didn't ever trademark our logo. Um, and so I, I, we're going to take your advice and we're going to actually apply it to our own business. So thank you very much for that. Um, I do have sort of the flip side of that. So, you know, those are the things that you sort of wish you would have known when you started your own business. But what are the things that you brought with you from the education space that sort of enabled you to be ready to do this?
3: Um, I think 25 years in student affairs uh, positioned me to realize that I have a work ethic that is unlike most others. Mm -hmm. And many of us who do work on college campuses, we have been conditioned to work at a pace and a level and a scale that most of the world doesn't. And so realizing that the tenacity, the built in work ethic and the ability to know that I have no problem staying up all night to get something done uh, like that just made this process easier uh, for me because I could. You know, I I, I, I didn't retire until September of last year. So even though I started the business last April. I was still doing some things, but I was still working full time. And so having to work a full day because we were back on campus by then and then come home that night and like work on a proposal or work on a deliverable or work on some of the certifications. Because one of the things I did do was I went through the process to get certified as a minority owned business at the city, county, state and federal levels. uh, And also with a couple of key hiring organizations here in the city of Memphis which included the power company and the school system. Um, and, and I did a couple of other things just so that it would be easier for me to pursue clients outside of the state, because most of the work I've done has been outside of the state of Tennessee up to this point. Yeah.
1: I mean, you know, the, first of all, the working around the clock in student affairs definitely prepares you for almost like any career, right? Like we, like people think that I work a lot in this, this job. Cause I work like, get in around like eight and I stay till sometimes like seven. And they're like, oh, you work lots of long hours. And n- n- no, I actually cut back when I left student affairs to come do this job. But the other thing is, you know, and it's something that we tell all of, our, all of our listeners is the skills that you learn in education are super transferable and super translatable to anything outside of student affairs. We just use different language. We use different terminology and that's okay. Learn the terminology, learn the language, some of the things that you've talked about. And once you're able to do that, you can be successful in a pivot. Okay, so Daryl, one last question. Uh, You know, if you could sum up in one sentence the advice that you have for someone looking to make their first pivot from a campus-based position, what would that be?
3: Line up your financial ducks in a row before you make the leap, because the first month without that steady paycheck can be daunting if you have not
1: great advice and different advice than anybody else has given us. So I, I think that that's fantastic. The, the financial piece is, is very real, right? Like you still got to pay rent or your mortgage, especially if you're uh, starting your own business. So
3: I mean, even something simple as like, I got the advice to check with my employer in terms of insurance, because I learned that you can only cobra into the plan you were under at the time you were leaving employment. So in open enrollment, I went in and changed my plan because the rate for that under COBRA was materially less expensive. So it's just all of those financial pieces. It's not just how much money do I have saved in the bank, but it's the insurance. It's the, you know, the business credit card, like it's all of those other financial pieces as well. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Very smart. Right. Like I know when I left uh, my last institution to come do this job, I had about a month gap. Right. And the thing that sort of struck me was like, Oh, insurance. Like I had plenty of money in the bank, but then I didn't have like, there was like 10 day window that I didn't have health shirt, health coverage. And I thought, Oh my God, if anything happens to me, I-, I felt like I needed to wrap myself in bubble, uh, bubble wrap so that nothing would happen to me. Um, but it's real, it's very real. So thinking about all of those things is really important, whether you're starting your own business or taking a month off, taking a gap month. Um, you know, all those things are, are important to think about. So, uh, Daryl, this, was one of my favorite conversations uh you know not only because of the amazing work that you're doing uh, out in the field but the type of role that you took or the type of business that you started but also the type of roles that you had prior to doing this you know um from a senior leadership perspective but i also have to say the fact that you are at, at schools that have these powerhouse football teams makes me really happy too because anytime <laughs> i can talk about uh college football i will even if it is the the sec conference <laughs> To all of our listeners out there, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Pivoting Out of EDU.
0: Look forward to next week for our next episode. Thank you for listening to Pivoting Out of EDU. In addition to our podcast, we offer various ways to get support as you work through your career transition, including digital resources, one-to-one consulting, group workshops, and cohort-based blended learning experiences. For more information about these services and show notes, visit pivotingoutofedu.com. And if you haven't done so already, join our LinkedIn group called EDU Pivoters, where we share job opportunities and foster engagement between those who have pivoted and those who want to pivot.